Hello and welcome to the Health Hacks podcast, the podcast for high-performing professional females looking for practical ways to optimize all areas of their health and wellness. At Health Hacks, we understand that as a busy female, you wear numerous hats throughout your working week. You're trying to juggle it all, while also looking to carve out time to prioritize your own goals. It's challenging. It's therefore our mission to channel your energy into the areas that are going to help give you the biggest bang for your buck, to really make significant changes to your lifestyle in the most efficient way possible. So at the moment, if you feel as though you need more energy, you want to feel more productive to improve the quality of your sleep, to lower stress, to increase confidence, to show up better in both your personal and your professional relationships, this podcast is for you. If it's time you prioritize your health, learn to fuel your body, found time for exercise, and said goodbye to fad diets and inconsistent behaviors for good, this podcast is for you. If it's time for you to step into the shoes of the high performer you know you can be, this is the right podcast for you. Join me and my guests as we take you through the Health Hacks podcast. Our daily lives are filled with challenges, responsibilities, and the pursuit of success. Whether you're a CEO, an entrepreneur, a team leader, or even a parent, the way you lead can have a significant impact on your overall well-being and the well-being of those around you. Today, we have a special guest who will shed light on the importance of leadership health and how it directly influences our mental, physical, and emotional health. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Wade Foster, who is going to help you reclaim your health. Leaders, he's talking to you and the importance of practicing what you preach to have a significant impact on the health, happiness and outputs of your team. We need our leaders to be leaders and set the tone for office culture. Wade and his team work with CEO and entrepreneurial clients and guide them through their four pillars to ultimate and optimal well-being and success. Now, I'll say in advance, we had every intention of going through all four pillars in this episode, but you'll soon realize that with the depth of knowledge that Wade provides on each of these, it would be a real shame to rush through and do some of them an injustice. So today we're going to hone in on what he describes as the gatekeepers to health, which are sleep and stress. And we'll be back for round two to address the others. In other CWC news, we are lucky to work with women all over the world. And yet, it doesn't matter how many continents our programme spans, professional women in particular are facing the same barriers, irrespective of what continent they find themselves on. So much so, we have launched new five-step guides to cover your biggest barriers. If you're struggling from lack of time, low energy, poor sleep, elevated stress, well, firstly, listen to this podcast with Wade, but then feel free to visit the CWC website where we have five-step guides on each of these topics to help you implement strategies today to make a positive impact to your week. As ever, if you find the Health Hacks podcast valuable, if you like what we do here, the conversations that we have and the information that we share with the world it would mean the world if you could support us. And there are several really, really quick ways in which you can do that. Please feel free to like and subscribe to our platform wherever you enjoy your podcasts, whether that is Apple Podcasts or Spotify, perhaps. You can share on social media, share your favorite episode on social media, and it helps the word get out and share with more individuals. And the last one, if you have had a conversation with a friend, a loved one, a colleague recently about a subject that we've touched on, please send them that episode. Send it directly to them. And if you have found it valuable, chances are they will too. They'll appreciate it and we will too. We want to spread the message of Halifax as far as we possibly can and you are the biggest help in doing that. So thank you in advance. And without further ado, enjoy this week's episode with Wade Foster. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Today, I am so pleased to be joined by... Wade Foster. Wade is the CEO of Executive Health Coaching and the host of his own podcast, The Executive Health Show. I always feel a little bit under pressure when I'm on with another podcast host. Wade, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. How are you? 
I am I'm good long overdue um I am uh, I'm really looking forward to this chat today we're actually going to be diving into a topic that you are an expert in we're going to be talking about leadership health <laughs> and um but before we do that I ask all of my guests how they have arrived uh where they are today a little bit of background to you but also what your mission is and and why you do what you do with the clients that you do all over the world cool how far back do you want me to go all the way. All the way, all the way. So when I was five. Um, <laughs> so I um, was very sporty as, as a kind of um, adolescent. Then I went to university to do a degree in sports science, um, wanting to go down the realm of kind of sports teams and stuff like that. <laughs> I personally went on a sort of physical transformation of going into the fitness world, a bit of fitness modeling, um, which is basically for those watching, standing on stage in Speedos, you know, getting judged, um, wearing a lot of fake tan. Uh, so I did that in my in my early 20s. And while I was doing that, I fell in love with nutrition, uh, how amazing the human body is and how amazing the way you different foods can kind of get different outcomes from a physical point of view, from an energy point of view, and so on and so forth. And I like absolutely fell in love with the science behind it. So I went to do my master's in nutrition. From there, started um, a coaching company um, with one of my uh, well, my business business colleague, Dr. Chris Spearman, where we helped people get a body transformation company, right? So we're helping people um, lose weight and get in what we called cover model shape, as Chris and I were both kind of the men's health models at the time. Um, from there, that business blew up, and that's kind of how this then transcends to where we are we are today. So, um, as two early twenties male fitness people, like Chris is a PhD, I've got a master, so we're, we're up there on the science. Um, we became CEOs very, very quickly because the business did exceptionally well, and I'm incredibly proud of of that. But with people listening, when you start going from just like a one person business, a two person business, to managing a team, managing a lot of finances, managing a lot of things. Uh, both our health deteriorated. So our stress went through the roof, our sleep went out the window. And even though we were eating correctly and exercising, we started to look worse, feel worse and be performing worse on a day to day basis. So we then started to transition into how do we fix ourselves now? Like, we're not these young kids anymore who are like, immune to anything. We're now under a lot more stress, a lot more like sleep's going out the window, etc. So we started delving into the world of what we would call high performance, or, or let's say, um, optimizing for business and life rather than just how we looked. And that's where we then transitioned to where we are now going to go to companies going to executives where we're like, it's not as simple to fix your health. When you are at that level of stress, you are at that level of sleep deprivation, and so on and so forth. So that's where we kind of caveated the business from like a body transformation business to now where we are executive health coaching, where we work with generally senior executives, either individuals or teams, um, to optimize their productivity, their longevity, and their overall performance and health by managing our kind of four pillars, which are sleep, stress, nutrition, and activity. So that's a bit of a story for you. Yeah, no, I, I think everyone will be able to relate to this as well. I think with maturity and age, irrespective of whether you've had that background in the bodybuilding side of things, with maturity and age, we watch our bodies change over time. Mm -hmm. And we need to we need to adapt, don't we? The techniques and the strategies that worked when we were bulletproof <laughs> under 25, you know, it maybe doesn't work into your 30s, 40s and 50s. Can mm -hmm. I ask you a personal question? How did you feel, you know, having, and I'm sure you have the photos and, and all of the kind of memorabilia of the, the glory days of the, the bodybuilding. How does it feel to watch or, or to feel your energy levels change and your body it is maturing, but develop over time and your focus change into more of the, the health side of things rather than the aesthetics? Hmm. It was a long journey. Like it wasn't just a, a flick of switch overnight to be to be said. Um, and I think you nailed it when you said maturity. Like that's really what it what it comes down to. Like when we're we're young, um, we do a lot of stuff for vanity. And not so like vanity's nothing wrong with it. I think everyone should love the way they look in the mirror and wake up every morning going, "Yeah, I feel great. I look great." Like be very proud of of you are in your own skin. Um, but from a young age, it's very much you're going for external gratification. 
so obviously the bodybuilding scene i managed to be on instagram at the right time so like a lot of likes a lot of love but you don't this it's all external it's nothing this so then then losing that through the stress and the sleep and that all going i then had to kind of reframe my thought process of going what do i want like how, like how do i want to live my life regardless of what i'm coaching like how do i want to live my life and then the goals goalposts change it's not I want to be sub 6% body fat. I want to win this title. I want to do that. I want this. It's like, I want to feel really good. I want to have a good amount of energy every single day. I don't want to get brain fog. Um, I want to be able to do any activities. I've got no kids at the moment, but I've got um, nieces and nephews. I want to be able to go play, throw them around like the park or do trees, like climb trees and all that stuff. Like, I want to be able to, um, at the drop of a hat, someone goes, Hey, do you want to do this marathon? I can do it. Like, I won't enjoy it, but I can do it. And that's where my kind of goals and, and life changed. It was, how do I want to live? And that's very uh, internal gratification, going from an external to an internal gratification point of view. And I think that's a powerful frame for a lot of people to take because we live in the social media age where everything's external. Like, everything is, I'm doing this for likes, I'm doing this for that, I'm doing this, that, where I'm not, I'm doing everything now for me. And that seems to be portrayed in, in the mission of the company and so on and so forth. Yeah, agreed. We had Paul Dermody on a couple of weeks ago talking about very, very similar story to you, background in bodybuilding, competed. And we were talking very much about values and value-led approach to <laughs> uh, to goals. Mm-hmm. One thing that, and I again, sorry, this is a, a personal one. Did you ever struggle with any negative relationships with food or any disordered oh, patterns? Yeah after the way that you're describing that seems like it was almost as a seamless journey you said it was long but that it was almost seamless but there there was that um that impact yeah i think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who is now early to mid 30s or mid 30s plus who did the fitness era that that kind of i was in instagram kind of blowing up and stuff like that who that who may still have or didn't have a very poor relationship with food. So even though I loved food, like I loved the, and we can dive into kind of nutrition in a bit, but like how amazing the different foods make you feel and make you look and all this type of stuff, even though I loved that, you still had impulse. You still had everything of going, I love Pop-Tarts. I love sausage rolls. I love all these things. And then when you go through a, um, uh, like a, a, a dieting phase like they're called preps in the bodybuilding world where you restrict yourself of everything like it was literally boiled fish asparagus boiled chicken uh it's just not fun as soon as you win the trophy or you get on stage you do your photo shoot whatever it may be that restriction goes so then you just binge you just eat everything and you balloon and i won't be like um it's in my friendship circles it's quite humorous um which is fun i could talk about but like i put on i think it was 18 kilos in nine days post-competition i went from the leanest i have ever been like very like literally five percent body fat to 19 kilos and puffy water weight like ballooned in with within like a period period of less than two weeks and what was obviously interesting on that was i just competed so a lot of people were like oh let me see your abs let me see like and i was like they're gone like they're gone because i had such a it's called a rebound you had such a negative mental association with food and stuff like that i just completely benched and then it's taken me a long time to to kind of get to a place where like a more balanced nutrition approach and more holistic approach is definitely in my mid to late twenties when I kind of stopped the competing side of things, very poor relationship with food for a very, very long time. And then you do the old, um, old age kind of myth of, ah, oh, I'll just train a lot and I'll, I'll kind of counterbalance it. And it just doesn't work. You can't have trained poor nutrition. It's just, it's just impossible. Yeah. I think it's important to flag up that no one's journey is seamless. It's, it's not, easy and I didn't go as far as you I didn't go up to the the competition level even dipping your toe in the photo shoot pool I've spoken about this on another episode I didn't go into gym for six months after that Mm. after dieting to that extent Mm. it was just a complete as you say rebound a total rejection of and you just want to hide from it you want to escape from from Mm. everything and 
basically fill the hole that you've made for yourself was how it felt for me is that you're yeah. just trying to fill it with the foods you didn't eat mm. the discipline that you inflicted on yourself the the things that you said no to you just start saying yes to everything and I think this links like back into the internal external gratification that we kind of touched on the start so if anyone listening is like looking to do a health like a health journey or anything yes there is a, a sense of like vanity I want to look good I want people to say I look good but you have to do the journey for you because I think potentially with your photo shoot and with me competing, winning shows, it was very hollow. Like you, you big it up to be like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And it's actually really, your life doesn't change. Nothing really happens. And it's quite like a um, disappointment in a sense, like, like a, a sense of a disappointment. So moving to um, more of I'm living for these these things for for like eternal like um, internal um gratification for internal like i'm doing this for me i'm doing this for this i'm not doing this for anyone else and so on and so forth um i think it's a really powerful mindset shift but it's quite difficult from a health perspective because so much media from a health perspective is put on to external gratification rather than than internal one of the reasons i love the podcast i'm sure you do too is it allows you to explore that longer form content so it's mm. not me trying to grab you on social media with an image mm. with a little bit of text at the bottom. It's a conversation that we're able to have. We're able mm. to dive into into topics, go down some some rabbit holes. And one of the things that people say to me very often when they when they listen to an episode of the podcast, it's like, it's like you were talking to me. Mm. They feel seen, they feel heard. They feel as though they can relate to uh, things that we cover. And it's it's one of the reasons that I love it so much. No, 100% couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So that being said, maybe we should get on to today's topic. Should we dive into the topic? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's. Um, I think it would be, um, I want to put a little bit of a caveat before we go into today. We're going to talk about leadership health. And I think as you agree with this, as, as business owners, um, we really always have the, not just the, our clients not just um our team but also our ourselves at the forefront of our mind we want to really make sure that we're practicing what we preach lead from the front and mm -hmm. we really set the tone for for what we do all the way down to the messages that we that we send out to our clients mm -hmm. um so when we talk about leadership health this will be applicable to you of course if you are someone who heads a company maybe you're in the c-suite you're top of the tree but also you're perhaps in a managerial role where you're managing perhaps a large number maybe a couple of people within your team but also if you are just someone who you work a nine-to-five you're in the corporate space and you want to take ownership and command of your own health we want to speak to everyone um, under this umbrella so although mm -hmm. the title of today's episode is going to be called leadership health we are speaking to to a whole host of individuals mm -hmm. but maybe we'll dive into what you do with your clients and maybe start with the problems that you're seeing yeah. across the board i think with so many companies google mm -hmm. microsoft the huge mm -hmm. the giants now taking such an interest in the health of their employees both the physical and, and mental health of mm -hmm. their teams it's not something that we can neglect anymore no completely completely agree um and What's really interesting is it, it's still a bit of a taboo subject, like talking about obesity, talking about like sleep deprivation, um, talking about burnout, like I'm suffering from burnout, like it's still a bit taboo. It's not um, a conversation that people enjoy or, or want to talk about. And that's why there's not a lot of solutions out there yet. And we've seen like the mental health space that... Uh, Blossom's the wrong word, but it's got traction over the last couple of years with more people talking about it, um, getting celebrity endorsements and so on and so forth. But health is still a really taboo subject, it's like especially in the corporate space where regardless of what position you are, if you're at the top of the tree, you want to generate more revenue for the company. If you're working your way up the tree, you want to perform better so you can earn more money and you can get promotions and so on and so forth. And so much of that is linked to how you perform, how you look after your health. Yeah how you look after yourself will completely dictate the way you perform at work and people just uh maybe unaware or they try and like ah, oh, i'm gonna stay up later to do x y and z that's gonna have a massive impact on how you perform the next day i'm gonna the nutrition topic like i'm gonna fuel myself with eggs and avocado or i'm gonna grab a mcdonald's breakfast on the way to work because i'm rushed 
completely changes how you're going to do the first few problems in your like in, in your day. So I'll just drive through a few statistics. I'm I'm a very data driven human being. Um, so just for people to kind of get an, an understanding of stuff. So um, overall, overall arch and kind of statistic, this is for anyone to, so obviously this is going to be very applicable to, let's say the C-suite, the owners, but also for people going, how can I help my company more so I can progress? Poor health, right? So poor health costs US companies $2 trillion, billion a year in lost productivity, absentee, poor decision-making, and work ethic. $2,273,000,000,000. So if you're at the top of the tree, you want to figure out how can I stop this? And if you're working your way up, it's like, well, how can I improve my sector, my performance, and so on and so forth to, to obviously combat this? It's, that's a lot of money being left on the table from people not looking after their health. And the way we kind of look at this in a sense is, is I'll kind of talk through it and our four pillars and you kind of come in and ask questions from that. So the four things we've got to look at is a sense of one, which is stress, which kind of leads to leads leads to burnout. So of kind of management level and above, 70% of individuals reported feelings of burnout last year. 70% of people in a management position or above reported feeling burnout. And that was in... in um, different kind of levels. So you've got burnout could have been done by exhaustion, stress, stress, overwhelm, or depression. Imagine if 70% of your leadership team or 70% of your management team are, are, are feeling burnout and stress, where well, they're going to massively, massively underperform. You then have um, sleep deprivation, which is uh, a really interesting, interesting part to go with. So only 28% of management, and this is was the Harvard Business Review, only 28% of management and above reported sleeping seven hours or more per night. And where this gets really interesting, less than 2% of the human population is genetically able to function on less than seven hours of sleep. I'll so ask you, goes, how many times have you heard people say, oh, but I don't need it. I don't need seven hours. That's literally what I was just about to say. Exactly. You go, I don't need it. You do. Like, you do. But the phrase that um, I, I say a lot to my clients and, and people I'm talking to is, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how good you could be if you slept seven hours or more. Like, you don't know how much energy you'd be, how much better um, decision-making you'll be. And it's really interesting when it comes to it because decision-making is not really tangible. Like, it's not like, a, oh, I ran this 100 meters quicker. I did this. It's like, how do I know I'm making better decisions? So it's a difficult one to go, am I making, am I not making? But in the sense of, of your business, your career progress and, and financial data at the end of the day, it's really, really important. Then where it gets a little taboo is when we start looking in at obesity. Okay. So a study by researchers at Duke University um, discovered that obesity-related absentees cost U.S. employees $73 billion a year. And what you find is over 60% of management or above are currently overweight or obese. And that's the top of the tree. And the way that I come in and I talk to companies in a sense is, your leaders are your your role models. Everyone below goes, I want to be C or not everyone, but a lot of people want to drive to be a manager, to be a C-suite for career progression. Well, if your leaders aren't looking after their health, aren't looking after their bodies, aren't looking after their brains, what message is that sending to the company? You're not only losing revenue because from lost productivity, lost work ethic, lost everything you're not creating a, a amazing, healthy culture. And some of the big things when I do with, with corporates, companies, it's we want to have you because we want to keep the best talent, but we also want to hire the best talent because we want to show people that we care about their health. But it's still such a taboo area that people just aren't comfortable discussing. And hopefully what you and I are discussing today and the missions of our, our companies can really dive into the corporate space going, no, we need to reclaim our health. And the word I use, I try to be careful my language, is reclaim. 
over the last century, we've lost health. We're a generation that's getting more and more obese, sleeping less and less, relying on stimulants, more stressed. We need to sort of take a stop to that and go, right, if we look after number one, which is ourselves, everything else improves. So I've given a lot of information, a lot of data there, a lot of stuff for you to kind of dissect. Um, but yeah, any, any kind of thoughts on, on that? Yeah, my my first, a lot, but the, my first one is this idea of health in relative terms to where we are as a, as a culture. Mm. It's never been easier to be a human being. It has never been easier to live in our world. We're, we're expanding into the world of AI where robots are going to be doing everything for us. In theory, we should be, we have access to higher nutrient foods than we ever have. We're in a, an abundance culture. We have too much of everything. Mm -hmm. And actually what we're not able to do is, is to moderate that. We are living longer. Exactly. But I wonder if this is a really good time for you to come in and talk about biological age. And yes, oh, we're living longer, but what are the quality of those years that well, we're that's at? A fantastic, fantastic point to kind of dive into. So um, we are living longer, generally due to modern medicine. And what modern medicine does is modern medicine keeps you alive longer. That's the goal of it, right? Pay, take this pill. Here, have this operation. It doesn't actually fix anything about the root cause of the problem. So when we get this, it's the um, kind of quality of life conundrum. A lot of people are living longer now, but their life post 40 is very poor, very poor quality. I chat to people every day, and I'm sure you do, who can't really walk that much. You know, can't really, or walk like... Oh, um, like I want to go traveling, but I can't, like I, the walking's going to really take it out of me. Or I won't be able to do, I want to play my grandkids and stuff like that. Like after 40, a lot of people's health really, really deteriorates. And this is where we link into the, the thing of um, like biological age and chronological age. So chronological age is really, really easy. How old you are. That is your chronological age. Your biological age though, is how old your body is your cells your organs and that is completely dictated by lifestyle by the four pillars that i mentioned so your hormones which is obviously where stress gets involved by your kind of like your body composition by your activity levels and by your, your sleep deprivation completely dictates your biological age so your biological age could be very good could be the same as you are which is, is very good could be younger than you actually are or which is most cases when we run tests older and that is completely dictated by lifestyle and when you run these tests and you can there's a, a if you just type in biological test onto google and you'll be able to biological age test on google and there's loads of companies it's a saliva test so it's really easy it doesn't take any time or it does look really really easy to do um it's really eye-opening when you're like the life i have lived i am aging my body more more than it should be and that's a really good tangible metric you can use to, am I improving my health? Am I improving my quality of life? Is diving into this, this biological age, age realm. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's the thing that kind of, that I think is really, really valuable for people to at least know, or at least be aware of their own biological age. Uh, it can be really eye-opening, like really, really eye-opening when you're like, my boy, like I'm 45 and I've got the body of a 59 year old. It's not, it's not pretty reading in the longevity markers. Yeah, absolutely. I think it might be a good time to go into your four pillars and mm -hmm. how you actually help your clients mm. remedy that and how you actually mm. implement strategies across these four areas to actually help in the management of these health markers. Of course, of course. So I said the four pillars that we we touch on, that we, we work with, um, uh, teams and individuals with is stress sleep nutrition and activity and a really good way to think about this and this kind of links back to um, my story of how I fell into this world so you have two workers okay so think of them as they've got the hammer and the chisel they're going to go to work on the body every day that's nutrition and that's activity right so they're the ones that are going to do a lot of the legwork however you've got two gatekeepers you could have the best workers in the world. 
But if the gate's closed, they can't get in to do their job. And this is how so many people fall down when it comes to really optimizing your health. They try and do surface level solutions, which is try and eat a bit better and try and get more activity in. Right? And the, a lot of times that's going to work. But if you aren't sleeping efficiently and you aren't managing your stress and your cortisol, the gate's closed. Those workers can't do their job. Or the way that I would articulate it is the ROI you get for the effort you put in is minimal. And this is why so many people fall down. And I'm sure you would have seen it where it's like, I've tried dieting before. I've put this, I put that in it, uh, like I've done Weight Watchers, I've tried keto, I've tried this, I've tried that, and I'm not getting anywhere. Just the gate's closed. You got to go. You got to go a level deeper. You got to go a level deeper on the human body to really, really optimize everything functioning in um, in the right way. So I'll try and give some some kind of tip, tips on each one. We'll kind of a back and forth on each one. So the first one, which kind of controls everything, is stress. So the way I sort of talk about stress is I'll give the scientific terms and I'll give the non-scientific. So you've got the sympathetic and you've got the parasympathetic nervous systems. For anyone listening, you would have heard of fight or flight mode and rest and digest mode. That's basically what they are. So the sympathetic is fight or flight mode um, and the parasympathetic is rest and digest. When we get stressed, we secrete a hormone called cortisol. When cortisol is in our system, everything else slows down right? So your body's ability to burn body fat, your body's ability to build muscle, to digest and absorb foods, thinking about cognitive energy and cognitive performance. If your body, if you could eat the best food, but if you're not digesting it and absorbing it into the bloodstream, you're not thinking properly, right? So every other hormonal pathway slows down. And then this all makes sense when you think about this from a kind of prehistoric point of view or an evolution point of view. Prehistoric times, our stresses were can I swear on the podcast? Of course you can. Wait, fuck, there's a saber-toothed tiger. Kill it or run. Yep. So your body's not thinking about reproduction. Your body's not thinking about utilizing um, neurons for your brain. It's thinking about, I have to kill this animal or I have to get out of it. Fight or flight mode, right? The issue with modern day society is we don't have saber-toothed tigers anymore. Once in a blue moon, right? We have micro-stresses every minute, every hour, every half hour, right? Take a, a random day. So your alarm goes off. Firstly, that's a stressor because it's noise, right? First stressor of the day. Then you get, I look at the news. Um, I look at social media. I'm looking at work emails. I've got to get the kids ready. They're not ready. I'm stuck in traffic. It's just before you even got to the office. Like think about how many stressors you've got. Like, your body is not in an ability to perform in any way. So the first thing that like we've got to do is we've got to understand cortisol I and mean, understand where your body is. And um, do you touch on heart rate variability much? No, if you could go into that, that would be amazing. Perfect, perfect. So we live in a, in a um, wonderful age of technology. So I wear an aura ring, but you have Apple Watches, Whoops, Garmin's, Fitbits. Uh, I've probably missed a couple, the activity trackers. A lot of them now track a variable, which is called heart rate variability, HRV for short. This is the metric that tracks the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So it lets us basically know how adaptable your body is. If you're parasympathetic dominant, your body functions phenomenally. If you're sympathetic dominant, it means you're in this constant stress mode, this constant fight or fight mode, and you've got too much cortisol going on. So heart rate variability is the metric of the human body that tracks this. It is exactly as it says in the tin. It's the variability between your heartbeats. So if you're, say you've got a resting heart rate of 60, your heart doesn't beat once every second. It will beat 0.8, 1.2, 1.4, 0.6, etc. The greater that variability, the less stressed you are, the more parasympathetic you are. So the higher your heart rate variability, if any of you are looking at your phones now, your apps, try and find it, the higher your heart rate variability, the more parasympathetic you are, so the more adaptable your body is to digesting and absorbing foods, to burn body fat, to build muscle, to um, fight off um, or improve immune system and so on and so forth, okay? And then, so it makes sense. When you get stressed, anyone knows a time where you've been in a scary situation or you're maybe doing a presentation and you're not comfortable at presenting, your breathing starts good and your heart rate actually, people, it gets quicker, but it gets more rigid. It gets less variable. That's stress. That's cortisol. It just starts going boom. Boom, 
boom. As in when it when you're not stressed, it's boom, 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 boom. Like it, it's it's not stressed. It's fleeting. It's doing what it wants. Whereas when it's stressed, it's a lot more rigid. So the lower your heart rate variability, the more cortisol in your system. Heart rate variability is a very individual number. That's why potentially looking into a form of coaching or someone who understands it is a very good way of optimizing it. However, as an average rule of thumb, it, it's very, very individualized, but I want to give a bit of thing. If it's below 30 MS, generally means you're under more stress. So your body's in a, in a sympathetic state more often. So 30 is the magic number that you kind of want to stay above, which means your body's in a good adaptable state and you're not under a lot of stress. So that's a metric that we track religiously with our with our companies and our clients to ensure that everyone's at a point where their body is performing um, where it needs to be. Any questions on, on that? Anything you want to kind of dive into on that? No, but I just know that I'm going to get, my inbox is going to be flooded of people now going, oh my goodness, Caroline, my number is this. What does this mean? <laughs> so, so it is very, very individual. That's one thing. I ha- and that's the um, love and hate of, of the health world giving generic advice is very beneficial because again it, it can help a lot of people but it's not yours so that's why like trying taking everything with a little pinch of salt of going okay this is this is the average but there are different rule markers to go into i think Another that's important is that don't go by one day if someone is opening up her tracker right yeah. now zoom out and look at the broader spectrum of data that you've collected over right. time and that's we right. always will use phrases like trends over time or mm-hmm. that's what we're really looking for mm-hmm. rather than just i'm not so interested in the individual days per se i'm mm-hmm. interested in what those trends are doing over a longer yeah. period and it's going to fluctuate from day to day so um alcohol affects heart like people like alcohol processed foods um all these things will affect your heart rate variability so they can be really easy to fix but i'm going to talk, talk you through just the easiest way to start improving it and that is through nasal breathing as a race, we are incredibly lazy. So we have a thing on the front of our face called our nose. This is what we're supposed to breathe through. However, it's easier to breathe through our mouths. So through evolution, I think it's something as high as 75 to 80% of humans are now chronic mouth breathers. You have to think to breathe through your nose. Okay? I'm doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so everyone's probably going, no, 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 I breathe through that. No, no, no. When you're talking, you just breathe through your mouth. So um, nasal breathing is actually the biggest way to promote your parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, some of you may do meditation. Some of you may not. Um, some of you may really like it. Some of you don't. I'm not unbelievably into guided meditation yet. I've tried it, but it's not my overall cup of tea. However, I do a form of nasal breathing every single day. And there's different techniques. Some of you may have heard of box breathing um, and so on and so forth. But the easiest way that I teach is five second rule. So deep breath in for five seconds through your nose. And then exhale for five seconds through your nose. And you do that for a two minute stint. That's it. So simple, so easy. But you are controlling your cortisol then. And I'm very into habit stacking. So some of you may have multiple kids, jobs, this, that, and the other, like, oh my God, I don't have time to do a 30 minute meditation or even a five, like, cool. Every time you have a shower, do that nasal breathing routine. Easy, really easy, really easy. Cool. I'm in the shower. I'm cleaning the outside of me. I'm also going to cleanse the inside of me. I'm going to lower my cortisol. So that's a really easy habit, habit kind of that I get everyone into to do. Um, first thing is get the HRV, understand where HRV is and how can we get some quick wins to improve it? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Happy for me to move on to sleep? Yep. Cool. Um, so, again, sleep is a, sleep is a really, really interesting one. Um, again, most people this day and age are actually sleep deprived. And again, it's you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how good your life could be if you are sleeping. And I have been sleep deprived. I was diagnosed with sleep apnea five years ago. And that was my big wake-up call when I was stressed and so on and so forth. And now I don't have sleep apnea anymore um so like a lot of things are curable but you have to just put the effort in um one thing so there's a crossfit athlete called matt fraser who's potentially the fittest man that has ever lived he um, did an interview once and he had a phrase of going if sleep wasn't a normal thing we did it would be a banned substance that's how 
good, your life, brain, and performance can improve by sleeping, but we take it for granted. We just we just go to bed or we just fall asleep. We get our body exhausted and then we just try and fall asleep when our body's not recovering when we're exhausted. Um, so that's something to be like, we're all looking for a pill. We're all looking for this. What can I, what's a quick win? Just now you sleep. You spend 33% of your time on planet Earth asleep. Make sure you do it well. Okay. So we sleep in three stages, deep, REM and light. Deep sleep, really easy. Think neck down. So it's where your body recovers. It's where you um, burn the most body fat, you build the most uh, muscle tissue, cellular regeneration all happens in deep sleep. We need around two hours. It's generally between 15 to 20% of total sleep, which if you're going to sleep for seven hours, it's about two hours, right? Of deep sleep to be fully restored in the body. For REM sleep, and this is where we're diving into cognition, REM sleep, you flip it, neck up. It's where your brain recovers. So it's where you get better memory, better focus, better cognitive performance, and also massively lowers the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's. And you need around 20 to 25% of your total sleep to be REM. The issue with sleep is there's this little phase called light sleep, right? Light sleep will always make the majority of your sleep up. It just is. But it's a transition phase. You're not awake and you're not in a restorative state kind of just lying there with your eyes closed, not much is going on. But the issue with people go, oh, I sleep eight hours. Like, if you sleep eight hours of light sleep, then nothing's happening. You haven't got your body into a state of recovery or restoration. So really honing in on strategies, which I'll go through a couple, to ensure this is going to make you more energized, better body composition, better hormonal control, and less irritable as well. There's so many benefits from, from it. Um, so some strategies to kind of go in with it in a sense. I'm trying to think of the best bang for your buck strategies. First one, first one is this one, and it's the most annoying, but it's have a regular bed and wake time. It is the most annoying because it's say, the most, like a lot of people really struggle with it, but have a bed and wake time. This sets your body's circadian rhythm, which is your body's internal body clock, um, which will then allow your body's hormones to produce melatonin when they need to and produce cortisol and serotonin, et cetera, when they need to. So the way I, the analogy that I'll give is um, at the end of the day, if you're going to bed at a different time, so 9 p.m., 11 p.m., 1 p.m. on weekends, 11.30, 10, your body's going to go, Caroline, when the fuck do you need melatonin? I've got no, you don't, I don't know when you go to bed. So I'm not going to give you the right dose at the right time. So what we want to do is we want to set our body circadian rhythm, hypothetically, go to bed at 10 o'clock every night. Well, at 9.30, after a week or two, at 9.30, your body's going to go, I know Caroline goes to bed at 10. So at 9.30, I'm going to give us some melatonin so we can get a really, really good night's sleep. This is, and it flip sides with like cortisol and serotonin in the morning, exact same kind of analogy. But this is why setting a body clock is so, so vitally important to actually getting restorative sleep. And that's the key word, restorative sleep. You're not just sleeping, you want restorative sleep so your brain and body can actually do what they're, what they're supposed to do. Um, how about you? Anything, any kind of inputs you have on sleep? Like what are the main tactics you go for? Well, one thing I will say on that is that, well, there's a, the why, Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep. Why we one sleep. of the things he points out in that book is that humans are the only species who purposely deprive themselves of sleep in the animal kingdom. That's every other animal, when they are tired, they go to sleep. We have this, we really want to make life hard for ourselves. And I think the setting those anchor points of this is when I go to sleep and this is when I when I wake, it's it's so fundamental. On paper, it's so easy. And the, the funny thing is, is that we know the value of it. We do, because we wouldn't be so strict with our babies and our kids' bedtimes if we didn't see the value in what those and what that what that means for them. Mm. Any mum who's listening to this who knows what it means when their baby doesn't go to bed on time and what they have to deal with the next day understand. Yeah. But we completely lose that. As soon as we become in charge of our own vessel as it is we just completely forget that the importance of it so mm. although it's hard those anchor points completely and I've made the mistake before of thinking okay I need a little bit more sleep so I'm going to sleep in in the morning mm. Mm. whereas we've had this conversation before keeping those anchor points but topping up with a nap later on in the day 
is actually the much better way to resolve that, isn't it? Yeah, and that so the one thing that I kind of a caveat I do on this is um, obviously a lot of people can't nap during the day, right? Yeah. They um, obviously but it also goes back to that workplace taboo. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like I know Google has um, like beds nap for, for naps and stuff like that, right? So I know that type of thing. But this is what a, a, a trick that is better for a lot of like, let's say corporate people listening. Don't sleep in on weekends. Have a nap on a weekend. You like the worst thing that so many people do is weekends ruin their lives. They're like, oh, I'm really good Monday to Friday, or Monday to Friday afternoon, then Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, da, 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 da. It's much more beneficial to get up at 7 a.m., 6 a.m., and then have a nap, even if it's at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., like even, it doesn't matter how early on the nap is, but to get up, to get those hormones staying in sync is so, so beneficial. Um, so even like getting up and lying on like just lying on the sofa not sleeping but getting up and just i'm just going to unwind with a book on the sofa or this or that like just getting up and starting your day at the same time on weekends it's a seventh day seven now of course there's going to be outliers like there's going to be a birthday party of this or that of course there's going to be outliers but it's trying to get to 85 90 percent consistency is where this is really optimal yeah Mm-hmm. And am I correct in saying there is value in the hours before midnight? I remember my like my granny yeah. used to say to me, one hour before midnight is worth two afterwards or whatever the, the phrase. But there is value in having that bedtime. But say the difference between eight hours from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Yep. has a higher value than, say, 2 a.m. You go to bed at 2 a.m. and mm-hmm. you get up at, at 10 a.m. You're a night owl. Yep. There is a difference there, isn't huge, there? Huge, huge. Yeah. So, um, well, midnight, middle of the night. Yeah. Is the is the kind of, is kind of what it was what it was kind of gone with. But in a sense, it's um. So the way the human body works, um, at, at the way sleep works, so deep sleep happens in the earlier hours of an evening. Okay, so we go through sleep cycles. Uh, deep sleep happens in kind of the first few hours of an evening. Generally, happens like to get the best your body's clock to the best is from like your ten till your one, maybe two at a push, but your ten till your one. So if you're not going to bed till midnight, you've only got uh, even if you nailed it, which you couldn't nail it because you've got to go through sleep cycles. You're probably only maximum getting about thirty minutes, maximum about thirty minutes of deep when you need two. Right, then we go through kind of sleep cycles and then we generally get more REM in the morning, which is from between, let's say, four and seven or maybe three and seven, right? Well, if you wake up at 4 a.m., which some of my clients do to fit some stuff in, like their REM sleep's not way near it needs to be. So it's really trying to optimize that window of like, yeah, so like 10 o'clock is a very, very good staple bedtime. Again, doesn't everyone's life is different. Take this with a pinch of salt, kids lifestyle whatever like marriage take with a pinch of salt if it is midnight it is midnight it's not the end of the world but trying to push that a little bit earlier you don't need to watch two episodes of netflix you know you don't need to just be scrolling on instagram for an extra hour or two like it's not adding any value the value of that hour earlier to bed exponential in in your quality of life and your longevity of life yeah, there's very it's a very different thing saying I go to bed at ten. Yes, you may go to bed at ten, but if you're That's sitting, you do this when your phone is a couple of inches from your face yeah. and that blue light is hammering your eyes. That's mm-hmm. not going to bed at ten. So I mm-hmm. think one of the things that we work with with clients is setting up that really robust PM routine, mm-hmm. and also it's being really honest about what we actually do in the in the evening. I'll use the word that I use very often here: faffing around. Three hours in the evening, have you ever noticed? They just go like that. Whereas if you gifted me another three hours in the morning, my goodness, that you can get so much in the day. I think it's just being really honest with actually, what do I do in the evening? And if you don't know, start observing. Start a really informal hmm. um, diary of how your evening maps out and actually look at whether that's serving you or not. 100%. 100%. And and this that's comes not down... saying don't relax. I want to be very, very clear. Oh, that's well, not just saying don't hmm decompress unwind spend time with your family you know do all of the things that if it's been a long day that is your your time in the evening however there's a difference between doing activities that are going to be detrimental to future you versus Mm -hmm. those who are those are actually going to help 
would be all. I think future is the the, 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 um, the kind of the best thing that you kind of went in there for people's kind of mindset around this. It's not a lot of what we say is rocket science, and I say this to all. My, I'm like, look, it's not quantum physics. What I'm going. Yes, I've spent over like probably. 200 grand on my education with my masters and stuff like that, but it's not quantum physics. It's not the most difficult thing in the world. However, applying it is very, very difficult because we live in a day and age where it's constant distractions. Social media now, um, technology, there's a new app, there's new this, there's new that, there's, oh my God, new t- like Netflix shows, uh, advertising, delivery, all these things are to, to get our attention. To, to take our attention away from what truly matters. So really understanding the, how do I want to live? How do I want to perform? And asking yourself those questions. How do you want your life to be at 50, at 60? So like, I'll be, I'll be kind of um, transparent to hopefully motivate some people. So like, uh, my, both my parents are obese. I uh, love them with all my heart. They haven't lived healthy lifestyles at all. And it's kind of a reason why I do what I do. So my dad was very, very happy in the corporate space. Um, and it really took his health, like a lot of stress, um, a lot of alcohol, so on and so forth. And I look at that go, I hope, as much as I love them, and I love my parents, I don't want to be like that in my 50s. Like they can't do a lot. And they're in pain. And they're kind of just like, it's not, they look at going, I need to do what I can now to prevent that from happening. Now, we all know life happens. Like, there is, there's injuries, there's this, there's that. There's so many different things. Life happens. But I want to give myself the best probability of thriving in the workspace, thriving as a father, thriving as a husband, and thriving in a long, happy, healthy lifestyle. That's getting these fundamentals in place. That's understanding how my body works. And from a kind of a company point of view, bringing this to people who want to be leaders or pushing from that, it's... um. If you are a leader and you want to instill a, a culture, trying to have a, a step count goal or a step count race in the business or hire a coach who can keep an eye on your team's heart rate variability and can tell you, look, Susan's working her ass at the moment. She's so stressed. You need to lower her workload or she's going to hit burnout. Like, otherwise, you're going to lose someone from absentee. Like People can take six months off due to stress and stuff like this. So it's really trying to do that from a corporate space but if you're from a space i want to work up the corporate ladder i want to be my best i want to so on and so forth nailing the fundamentals of how is my body performing from a stress point of view am i getting the restorative sleep that i need to am i fueling my body correctly to be able to take on the challenges and, and look the way i want to look and am i moving enough during a day to get the hormonal responses i want to perform it comes down to those it comes down to that and it's just having either the discipline or the accountability to action it because mm-hmm. it's not quantum physics. Like I have it, um, evenings, like again, I have evenings. So, so I try and have an hour evening routine, but even me, I'm like, Oh, this, I need to see the next episode. Whoa, like I've got to, got to know what happens. Right. So it takes a bit of a, like having an external accountability or internal discipline to make these things happen because Everything is fighting against us this day and age. Like we said at the start, it's the easiest age to be alive, um, but it's heading in a in a poor trajectory. And um, I'm a bit of a Disney fan for the people listening. But I, I'm a huge Disney fan. There's a Disney movie called Wally, which is about a robot, future age, etc. And there's a scene in Wally where it's in the future and like loads of uh, humans are on a spaceship, and they're all morbidly obese. And one of them falls off this flying scooter, so to say. Can't get himself back up. So the robot, Wally, has to come in, push him, get him up, to run, get him, because he wants to get up his ice cream and so on and so forth. That is the direction society is pushing us. From, you don't have to leave your house to watch the best movies anymore, to watch the best series, to get the best food. You don't have to walk anywhere because you've got Uber. All this advertising and everything is there to take your money and take your attention. We as individuals, as companies, as leaders, as human beings need to kind of take a stand going, I want to live my best life. And that comes down to nailing those four pillars. I've never actually thought about this in this way. And I wonder what you think about this. But someone asked me a while ago whether I was worried about AI taking over coaching 
and whether mm-hmm. I was concerned about the the direction that everything is, is mm-hmm. going in. One, absolutely not, because I think actually in an age where we're, we're recording this sitting behind two screens, but people are craving that in-person interaction. Yep. The irony of it is that we mm-hmm. actually want it more. So am I concerned about the the way that the world of coaching is going? No, absolutely not. Because actually to have a real conversation with someone about mm-hmm. your life is becoming, mm-hmm. in my eyes, rarer and rarer and rarer because we just don't have the same opportunities that we did. So it's one of those things, but it's almost like in some ways we are becoming more robotic in the lives that we're living. Like essentially, if I really chose to, I'm sitting in this room with a bathroom next to me. I could walk less than a thousand steps today and exist. You, and could, do less than, you could walk less than 250. Yeah. And do. <laughs> um, you could not move in a day. We're almost becoming more robotic in the way that we are just designing things to make it so easy for ourselves. Mm. But you're almost, it opens such a huge door about fighting against culture, fighting against cult, company culture that really puts this badge of honor on the perception of busyness. Yeah. Like busyness busy, is. Busy fool, I think, is the, uh, yeah. But then I can relate to this. When I was low, like when I was uh, just starting out and I was kind of like a trainee in, in the office, I used to make, no joke, extra trips to the photocopier when we had photocopiers to make it seem like I was really, really, really busy. And yeah. th- th- this is the kind of thing is that we really value time sheets and length of time rather than value of output. Mm. Same for our health. Mm-hmm. We want to be doing things to the extreme. I'm going to take up running. I'm going to do it six times a week every day mm. for the next for the next month. Mm. No, minimum effective dose. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So when you bring this into like a longevity longevity aspect in the sense, so the two biggest drivers of longevity are VO2 max, which is um, maximal kind of oxygen consumption. It's um, so hard to test though. It's very hard. I, I'll talk you through some, some things that I do and stuff like that. And then the second one is grip strength. But the reason why they are so powerful is that they are longevity practices in a sense of you can't just get a good VO2 max. You can't just do a good VO2 max test. You have to live a lifestyle that allows you to have one. Same with grip strength. You can't just have a good grip strength. You have to train grip strength. So that's why they're such big predictors of longevity of life. Um, VO2 max test, there's two that you can there's two that you can do. You need to use some online calculus. So yeah, like actually getting a proper, proper VO2 max test, you need to go kind of go to a university lab and stuff like that. And it sucks. Like it's awful but it's really, really useful data. Um, but two that are very, very valuable, depending on how much time you've got or what you've got access to. So one is called the 12-minute Cooper run. You just go for 12 minutes as far as you possibly can. And again, this is testing your VO2 max. This is quite an uncomfortable test, but it's really, really, really valuable. Um, and then you just go to an online calculator. So you do VO2 max test um, Cooper run. And then it, you put your Cooper run um, distance in, so how far you ran in 12 minutes, and it will give you a, a good calculation of your VO2 max test. The other one is if you have less time, you just run a mile. Run a mile as quickly as you possibly can, and then you use an online calculator that will give you an idea of, a, again, it's not 100% perfect, but it, they're actually pretty good. They're pretty close trajectories to what your VO2 max would be. So there's some tests that I will run with all of my clients to figure out where the VO2 max is and to ensure that they're at a healthy um biological age etc for their for their body um but yeah it's, it's put into exactly as you were saying with kind of the, the lifestyle side of things it's who's looking out for me and if you don't look out for you no one will and that's the way things go that's where company culture like everything there so the whole goal of obviously well, this conversation if they were doing is that our health is the single most important thing on planet earth because if you lose your health doesn't matter how much money you make. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Like, so, and by health, a lot of people think I'm just talking about um, body, your brain. Mm. Like, on the um, sort of like mental acuity thing, if you your brain starts suffering, you're not going to be able to work. Your brain starts suffering, you're not going to be able to recognize your family. My grandma suffered from um, Alzheimer's for the last four years, four or five years of her life. Do you think she was happy? She didn't even recognize her family. 
so health isn't just how you look it's not just like that side of thing it's also your brain health and stuff like that and take and like vo2 max grip strength direct correlation to um like brain health and longevity and cognitive performance so it's really taking the essence on if i don't look out for me nothing else matters like we live we have one body that's it if this breaks it's game over i can't buy a new one i can buy a new house if i need to i can buy a new car if i need to if it breaks down i can buy a new suit dip etc can't buy a new one of these if it breaks it's game over so take care of it because it's the only thing you have We have two more pillars to cover, but I think I think we've done in quite order a lot. to do them justice, and I think in order to, you've just ended on what is a very inspirational inspirational note. We can maybe leave these other two because they're quite big ones around nutrition and activity too. Oh, do I get invited back? Possibly. Maybe, we'll maybe, maybe. maybe. We'll, we'll see the reviews on this one. Is <laughs> if if the stats are good enough, then we'll we'll consider a return. Um, but I think the, the two, that's good. Today you've covered the, the gatekeepers, as you call them, yeah, exactly, of, of yeah. sleep and stress. And to be honest, to be 100% honest, the way that we work with our clients and anyone who's been through our program will know, we have a three-phased approach that we that we start with. And we don't actually go into the movement and fuel side of things in depth until we've managed the lifestyle design. Exactly. Because the way that I articulate this to clients is, what on earth is the point of me talking to you about your squat form or your uh, your max deadlift or whatever that may be if we cannot carve out time in the week for you actually to get into the gym regularly mm-hmm. to be doing sessions so we start with lifestyle design and work from there and actually for a lot of people if they were to have a handle for the next week two weeks month on those two things just their sleep and just their stress mm. the net gain the net positive mm. the feedback from that would be huge just by concentrating on those two things. Oh, 100%. And like from a, let's say, a practical point of view for, for taking away from this, like you can get so much information overload. So hopefully I think a lot of this was more motivating conversation, hopefully, um, statistic-based and kind of life-changing. So if all you did for the next seven days, go to bed at the same time every night, wake up at the same time every morning and nasal breathe about four times a day for two minutes, you'll feel so much better. Your body will be in such a better position so that when you start to optimize your nutrition and your activity, you will get a fantastic ROI that's going to be even more motivating, even more energizing. Oh my God, I'm seeing daily, weekly progress. Amazing. But it's because you've got the fundamentals in place, which is exactly what you said, lifestyle design. Love that phrase. And particularly if you are a leader listening to this, if you are managing any kind of team, I think start having these conversations about how are people sleeping? Where are the stress levels at the moment? Start asking the questions. Hmm. Start being more in tune with what is going on with your team. Who looks tired today? Well, actually, Mm -hmm. is it okay that they do? Is it okay that that person always looks tired? Hmm. Is it okay that, you know, you have the person next to you sinking five coffees in a morning like is that okay. is that okay um so i think maybe just being in tune with not just taking this back to the leadership not just with your obviously fill your cup first make sure that you are leading from the front but being aware of what's going on with the rest of your team and who may be um maybe you just want to be having more honest conversations around these subjects yeah, 100%, 100%. So you got to leave from the front to look after yourself. And then once you're looking after yourself, look after your team. Because like health is the most important thing. And health generates a lot of revenue for companies. But you have to look look after it. Otherwise, it can cost a lot of revenue too. Huge. Um, Wade, today's been incredibly valuable uh, for anyone listening. Lots of new information in there. And uh, yeah, really important points raised around these subjects. If anyone wants to find out more about you or connect with you, send any questions your way, where is the best place to find you? The best place to find me is, so this probably comes into uh, a uh, thing on, on kind of getting rid of um, triggers. So I don't use Instagram anymore. Um, so the only place you can really get hold of me will be on LinkedIn as that's my business platform. And if you just type in uh, Wade Foster MSC, um, you'll find me on, on LinkedIn. I probably, I think it's a photo of me with glasses. You'll see it with a blue shirt. Um, and that's me. Um, so any questions, uh, happy to connect, happy to answer any questions you've got on the four pillars or on leadership or on health. Um, and what I say with a lot of things in the sense of, of health coaches is who you resonate with. 
is going to be really, really valuable. So if you've enjoyed the way that I've spoken today, then please come and ask. If you enjoyed kind of the way Caroline speaks, please like come and ask. Because a lot of thing with health coaches to get a really great outcome is you need to resonate with the message that they send. So if you have someone that you do resonate with, don't be afraid to kind of reach out and ask for advice. Absolutely. I will link all of your details in the show notes below. Wade, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Oh my goodness. And we're only halfway through. We have two more pillars to cover, but I'm sure you appreciate the amount and depth of knowledge that Wade provides. It would be a real shame to do the last two an injustice. So we are going to come back and record a part two to this leadership health series. And I absolutely love that recording. I love having new conversations and bringing new information to the podcast. We haven't covered topics around HRV and circadian rhythm, etc., on the podcast. So really great to do that. Uh, thank you, Wade, for the time. I will link his information in the show notes below. Go and listen to the podcast, The Entrepreneurial Athlete, and enjoy more of the content that they produce. If you found this valuable, chances are you will also find that platform incredibly, incredibly insightful. In CWC news, if you love the content that we produce on Health Hacks, did you know that our client members area is now free to access in June? You can jump onto our members area and grab loads of additional information and resources. And as I say, for the month of June, it is absolutely free. On that members area, there are our five step guides. So we work with women all over the world and many of the same barriers are popping up with the women that come to our program. They're struggling with lack of time, low energy, poor sleep quality, and elevated stress, just as we've been talking about with Wade today. If that sounds like you, we have a quick guide. It's a five-step guide that will take no more than a couple of minutes of your day to consume, and yet the strategies that you can use from that guide can be implemented straight away. So if you're struggling with any of those, lack of time, low energy, poor sleep, or elevated stress, jump onto the members area, find our guides, and apply that straight away and see the change in your working week. As ever, I thank you, the listener, for spending time with us here at Health Hacks. I know that your ears could be on innumerable, numerable, is that the word? Innumerable number of podcasts. And the fact that you choose to spend your time here is sincerely appreciated. If you would like to support the podcast, there are three really quick ways that you can do so. One, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Share on your social media platform or I think that I like this one best. Send the episode to a friend, someone in your phone book, someone on uh, your socials, someone who sits next to you at work, in the office, a colleague, um, a family member, anyone who you think would also find our content useful. It'll help us and it'll help them too. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week and we'll catch up with you next week on the Health Hacks podcast with me, Caroline Mill.